Hello and welcome to the In Squash podcast, episode 53 today. I hope you're all doing well. Uh, on, on the podcast today, the wing, winningest coach in U.S. collegiate sports history, uh, I believe, and definitely the winningest coach in uh, U.S. Uh, collegiate squash history, Paul Asiante is our guest. And uh, I didn't uh, really, of course I knew the name, but I didn't really know that much uh, about Paul uh, Having done my research, uh, I was just uh, amazed at what the man ha- has accomplished uh, as a coach, both uh, for that, obviously, mostly for, for that team in Trinity, but he'd also coached uh, the U.S. national team, the head coach, uh, for the past several years and a uh, and elected to the uh, U.S. Uh, Squash Hall of Fame recently. Uh, we talk a lot about uh, the, the years coaching there at Trinity, a very small college in, in Connecticut. I think the student body is under uh, 3,000 and uh, under 3,000 students. And for him to have won so many U.S. national championships, NCAA championships uh, in a row, and to have the record that he has with such a uh, a small student body competing against the big Ivy League schools is nothing uh, short of amazing. Uh, He's produced some pros on the tour currently. I think Vikram Mahortra, who's making uh, inroads in the recent months winning uh, or at least getting deep into uh, draws recently uh, in, on the challenger tour i believe and uh, he's a lot to be proud of in terms of uh, the u.s men's and women's national teams uh, uh, especially with guys like todd harity chris hansen uh, chris gordon in the past uh, uh, andrew douglas i believe his name is um, there are others that are coming up through the ranks and obviously on the women's side uh, uh, they're doing extremely well with Amanda Sobey, Olivia Blatchford, and some uh, uh, younger girls coming up as well. Uh, taking over the mantle, uh, most definitely from Canada, I'm afraid to say. Uh, it should be interesting, the Pan Am Games coming up, which he uh, talked a little bit about and we talk a, a bit about on the podcast. And uh, just in terms of the U.S. collegiate squash scene, how I think uh, it's rubbing off on... Uh, the level of play over the past uh, few years. I mean, we did have uh, Jonathan Power, number one in the world, obviously, there for a few years, but uh, I think he was uh, the exception to the rule there. Jonathan also had uh, some of his, uh, some of the guys that he looked up to in Canada uh, as a junior, guys like Jamie uh, Crombie, Gary Waite, Saber Butt, uh, Gene Turk, those guys uh, sort of paved the way for him, all of whom uh, had relatively decent uh, professional careers. But uh, since Jonathan Graham, uh, since then, we it's been a bit quiet. But lately, uh, uh, some of the boys have been making noise here and there, Nick Sackfe, Andrew Schnell, uh, and the like. And also on the women's side, as I mentioned several times, uh, the women on, on the Canadian side as well have been doing uh, uh, many of, uh, I think, at least four in the top 60 or five in the top 60 in the world. So what's happening uh, at the collegiate uh, side of things uh, seems to be rubbing off on uh, what's going on uh, in North America in terms of the strength of squash uh, uh, increasing over the past few years. So we talk, uh, we have a great chat uh, with Paul. We also talk about uh, training, and uh, he has some great videos on uh, squash skills, uh, more on the preparation uh, for training side of things and how to prepare yourself 
so that when you go into a match, uh, you're ready to roll. And uh, he makes a few uh, very interesting analogies on the squash skills site uh, with respect to uh, Peter Nichols' approach, and uh, he talks a little bit about that. And some other great anecdotes uh, that we get into, including one that I found amazing. Uh, didn't realize that uh, he has a connection with... Uh, the legendary National Football League head coach, arguably the greatest uh, of all time in the NFL, Bill Belichick. And uh, he talks about uh, the time when Bill uh, asked him to speak to the New England Patriots uh, before, uh, uh, during the season uh, before one of their games. So uh, I know you're going to enjoy this podcast with Paul Asciante. And uh, I know you're probably all enjoying... Um, the Qatar Classic. I am right now. I'm actually in the midst uh, of game number three between Joel Macon and uh, Miguel Rodriguez. Game two was a marathon. Rodriguez uh, managed to peg back one game there and extended the rallies and seems to have found his uh, found his way again after uh, Joel just uh, sort of uh, blew him off the court in the first game. So it should be interesting to see how that and the rest of the matches play out. Declan uh, James played well earlier on uh, with a nice victory. And um, some of the evening matches should be should be quite entertaining as well, including uh, Paul Cole and uh, Borja uh, Golan. That should be a good match as well uh, this evening. So uh, enjoy that squash, but uh, also enjoy this podcast with Paul Asiante. All right, so uh, everyone, welcome to episode uh, 53 today, and we're delighted to have on uh, the head coach at Trinity uh, Trinity Squash Men's and Women's for 24 seasons, uh, the winning, winningest coach in U.S. Uh, college sports history, undefeated at one point for 13 straight seasons, and has led the, the Bantams to 17 national uh, titles. The 2016 uh, U.S. Squash Hall of Fame inductee, and uh, with the 2018-2019 uh, Trinity Bantam season kicking off next month, he's got his uh, hands full, I'm sure. Paul Asiante is our guest. Paul, so great to have you on the podcast. Well, the pleasure is all mine. Great, great. Well, Paul, um, I know you've got the uh, – we'll just start there. You've got the 2018-2019 campaign uh, for you uh, coming up. This is old hat for you, obviously, but every season's a new one. Uh, men, men's and women's both uh, start play in November. So how are things shaping up for, for this season? Well, I'm, I'm just the men's coach here, not, not the women's as well. Um, okay. But I'm also, the, I'm also the U.S. coach. And, you know, every year, like, like you've said, every year is a whole, new, a whole new chapter in the life's book. You know, I've been doing this 44 years. So, um, but it never gets old. The kids always bring in a new type of energy and challenges and you know what we're about to get on a road and on the end of it we'll pull off the road and we'll look back and we'll see if you know if it was a it was a fun journey and you know I don't put too much stock in the uh, results um, that would be on you know shown on a scoreboard but rather the results of the shared the shared process that the group will experience. There'll be lots of tears and lots of cheers. And, and when the dust settles, you know, we'll, we'll have a chance to reflect on the year. You know, we, we won last year, to be honest, I believe we only won last year because the championship was played here at Trinity. The home crowd really pulled us through um, a very challenging event. We were lucky 
to get through the semifinals with St. Lawrence. We were down 4-1 in that match. Yeah. Um, and then, again, we came out against Harvard. We were down in the first three matches that were being played, and the crowd buoyed us up and got us through. This year, you know, we, we're, we're, we've got a lot of new, new faces, and although they're talented new faces – They've never been through anything like this before. <laughs> and so, you know, we'll just have to wait and see how it washes out. The squash in, at the college level is just rising so quickly. Mm. Um, it's like Star Wars. Harvard brought in the number one and the number two juniors in the world and the number one Canadian. That's, that's pretty heady stuff. That's tough to keep up with. But, you know, we're looking forward to it. Absolutely. Now, now you mentioned there uh, a little bit about how the, the, the importance of having that home crowd uh, at your side. And uh, I saw a, a video about that uh, on YouTube earlier uh, today when I was prepping for this. Can you speak to that just a little bit about the, what makes the Trinity uh, uh, home crowd uh, so, so unique? Well, you know, it's a funny, it's just, this is a small little school. We're 2,000 students, and, um, you know, you're pulling in to play against the Yales and the Harvards of the world, and it's a different animal altogether. We're in the city of Hartford, um, and one of, the results, one, of the, one of the results of that, our location, is that our students tend to focus internally. They do most everything on campus, and, um, you know, I think we had close to 2,000 people at the Nationals last year. Mm. And when you're in those close confines and, and the crowd is really rooting for their, their dear friends, you can feel it. I mean, that, it's, and, and when, you're, when you're home, that noise is like a wave under the surfboard and it pushes you forward. Yeah. And when you're on the road, it's like swimming into a wave and it just eventually wears you down. And, uh, so it was nice to be home last year. We won't have that luxury this year. Yeah, where, where are they uh, being held this year? The, uh, the this finals? year the Nationals are at Yale, which okay. is close to here, certainly. And, and if we're competitive in that, it, it wouldn't surprise me if we had a nice large crowd take the hour-long drive down to New Haven. But, um, you know, that remains to be seen. Right. Yale, is that one of the Talbot brothers who is? Uh, yes. Yeah. Mark, Dave, Mark, Mark Talbot, or rather Dave Talbot is at Yale and his brother Mark is coaching at Stanford in California. Right. That's a topic I'm going to get to momentarily. Uh, the, the, very, the, the sort of eclectic group of coaches that are now there yeah. in, yeah. Uh, in the uh, college ranks. But uh, just, a, just a little bit more about this upcoming season. Uh, who are the teams, uh, obviously, that they're Harvard, you mentioned earlier, the teams that you expect uh, tough challenges or challenges for your team? And uh, are there any dark horses out there uh, that, you, that you're wary of? Well, you know, it's wary of everybody. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wary of ourselves. <laughs> and what, what, you know, anybody that's earning a living based on what people do, 20-year-old people do every day, you should really have his head examined anyway. But... Right. Um, you know, I think that, you know, we're all trying to be contenders to Harvard this year. Yeah. Um, and then you have the storied programs of Penn and Princeton and Yale. You know, there's certainly going to be factors. Columbia has made a great run. Jock, who played at Trinity, is doing a great job at Columbia. Drexel is going to be quite strong. They, they, they lost a couple of players last year. They're back. Mm -hmm. And they've also had a very good recruiting year. 
So they're going to be dangerous. George Washington University continues to rise. Rochester is always scary, as is St. Lawrence. So I think there are probably 12 to 13 teams that would have a reasonable chance of winning this all. Right, right. Uh, yeah, it sounds exci- sounds like an exciting Dartmouth. Season. You know, I mean Dartmouth. We shouldn't forget them. Right. Now, um, now on your team, uh, I mean, I, I was looking through the lineup, and uh, I guess recently it's become uh, the game at the college level, anyways, in the U.S. has become more of an international flavor. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. When did that all change? And obviously, that that affect uh, that affects the way you recruit. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, when did that that all begin to change for you? Well, um, about 21, 22 years ago, uh, a president at Trinity College asked me, you know, how we could become more competitive with the Ivy League schools. And I said to him, well, the best squash being played in the world is not being played in the United States right now. That's changed to some extent. We've gotten much stronger. But uh, he said, great, go get them. And all of a sudden, everybody was fishing in those ponds. Uh, we had nine, last year we won the national championships. We had nine men representing nine different countries. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a, so yeah, that, that's when the thing first started shifting. Yeah. And you have, uh, I noticed on your team, you have two assistant coaches of whom I'm assuming uh, both played for you in the past, uh, Chris yeah. Binney and Vikram Mahortra. Mahotra, uh, right. Yeah, both of whom now are making serious uh, inroads in the, on the PSA tour as well. Yeah, they're doing uh, great. Yeah, they're yep. doing really well. Uh, how, what's it like for you to have them by your side uh, as assistant coaches and to see uh, what they're doing uh, at the professional level, the successes they've been having uh, recently? Well, they're great. They're great ambassadors. You know, when we're recruiting and young people think, well, I don't really know if, obviously, I want to get a degree and, and go ahead and and work, but, you know, I might want to dabble at the tour for a little bit. And, you know, to have Vikram and Vinny doing so well um, serves as a, as a, a clear sign that, well, it's possible. It's definitely possible. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, and lately we've seen as well, I mean, uh, uh, you alluded to it earlier, uh, the U.S. Uh, play, uh, women's side, especially uh, Amanda Sobe uh, doing really well uh, at the ladies level. And then, uh, Guys like uh, uh, Ali Farag, who wasn't necessarily uh, a <laughs> yeah. top player at the collegiate level, although he did win national title, he did lose some matches as well. So sure. it's a, it's a definitely a, it appears to be more so nowadays more of a breeding ground for high level squash. Is that a um, for professional squash? I mean, is that I guess a reflection of the international flavor of uh, the college game now? Yeah, you know what's happened is the word is getting out earlier and earlier that, you know, you just getting an education in the United States is a real opportunity, a bonus. Mm. Um, you know, when Ali Farag came here, he was already a very highly touted, you know, world-ranked player. Um, and he certainly has established himself as at the top. Yep. But, you know, we, there's just the college squash. You go to the singles championships now, and those round of 16 players are – those are PSA level matches. I mean, those are not, those are, you know, 5K tournament level matches yeah. all up and down the line. So it's really, it's exciting to watch. Um, 
the game is is moving in some ways faster than we can control it. And uh, that's, you know, that's something that we're also keeping a very close eye on. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's great to see these young guys coming through and especially uh, getting, an ed, you know, the benefit of getting a, a high level oh, yeah. education at the same time. Because as we know, squash isn't always uh, going to pay the bills. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Even at the highest levels, there's not a lot of money out there yet. No, exactly. Now, uh, over the years, I guess, in the college, the college ranks has famously uh, had several great coaches, uh, not only yourself, but also the brothers Talbot, uh, J.P. Sr. at Dartmouth until he left. And then um, who replaced him? A Ger- the German. Um, yeah, Heinze uh, Wiens. Heinze Wiens. And then we've all, you know, Mike Way at Harvard. Uh, oh, I mean, rocks are David Palmer at Cornell. David Palmer, uh, you got Lincoln, John White. White at Drexel, Martin Heath at Rochester. Yeah. Um, you I know, mean, I'm far and away the most under-accomplished coach in the association. Well, uh, don't sell yourself short, but my, I guess my, <laughs> que- my question is, uh, with this influx uh, of the guys from the PSA tour recently, the recently retired guys uh, like Lynn Koo, Palmer, White, uh, and Heath, how – if if you can sort of um, perceive any change within the way the game is played at the college level through their input into uh, their programs, I don't know if you. Well, these guys are on the cutting edge. The, you know, I mean, they're one. You know, it's a good example is Martin Heath. I think Martin Heath is brilliant. Yeah. Um, and when we were started playing them, and he got that Rochester team very good. You know. He was all about backhand containment, pinning those guys on the backhand side. And so I tried to adjust to that and try to coach accordingly. The next time we play them, he's got his kids playing like the Egyptians and they're out there attacking the front court. You know, oh my God, I'm not keeping up with this guy. So, you know, they're, they're, they bring so much cachet. And then you've got someone like Thierry Linku. I mean, that guy is, is the most humble, mild-mannered person. but you know, if, if Thierry says, or if I say, okay, boy, stand on your head and hit a drive, and Thierry says exactly the same thing, that's mana from heaven from Thierry. And for me, they're just looking at me like, yeah, that's great, coach. Your, <laughs> your best days are behind you. So, you know, the, credit, the, the coaching group out there is very impressive. Yeah, definitely. Now, that, that must uh, put a little bit of added pressure on you as well to have such – I mean, obviously, you're, you're a big name as well, but when you've got to be recruiting against guys like that and also uh, a coach who had you know, famously coached Jonathan Power, you're recruiting against, uh, against the likes of them. Uh, how do you go about uh, – what, what's your mindset in terms of uh, your recruiting uh, approach? In, well, in it's no different than any – it's, it's not – yeah. yeah. It's no different than in any other industry. You know, you have to constantly evolve and grow and change with the changing times. You know, the old saying, what got you here won't get you there is very much the case. So we're constantly trying to improve what we're doing. We're trying to, to uh, fine-tune our systems and our recruiting systems, our communication systems, the manner in which we work with our players. Um, you know, everything is different now than it was even five years ago, never mind 40 years ago. Right. So yeah, we got to keep up with the times. And that's, that's otherwise, you don't belong in the industry anymore. And these guys, these coaches are coming in with what is new 
and cutting edge. And it's great. It's great for our game. I guess you could, uh, I mean, the, the analogy could be made uh, if we look at uh, the college ranks uh, of America, uh, football. You, you've got guys like uh, Nick Saban or Urban Meyer or, or guys, guys like that who've been there, done that, much like yourself. And then you've got new guys coming in, young guys, maybe ex uh, NFL players who come in with the new, with, with the big name and with, with all sorts of uh, uh, new ways of, of approaching the game. Uh, so I get may, maybe what you're saying is that you, you have to evolve, but also you have to stick to what's worked for you as well. No. Oh yeah. Yeah. You don't want to change just for the sake of change, but you do have to change to what's happening. And right. um, you know, it's, it's, I love the college game. Um, I really do. And the reason that I love the college game is the difference between the pros and the college kids um, is that the pros are just more fit. I mean, that, that's all they're doing. That's yeah. what they've got the time to focus on it. And so you watch our game and you watch a PSA match. At the beginning, it all looks pretty much the same. After about 40 minutes, their game looks the same. Our kids are tired. And you right. see it. And from a spectating standpoint, it's almost cooler to watch the college game because you can see how the strategy, the style took the wind out of a man's sails. And now you get to see the drama of how's that guy going to try to find a way to stay alive while he's under, under attack? And how's the other guy going to find a way to step on him and finish him off? It's, the college game is very cool. Yeah, there, there's a lot more of that. I mean, you hear that the same thing being said about uh, that. That's why uh, American football is so uh, can be more popular than the pro game. It, it's the, the exact same uh, for the exact oh, yeah. same reason. Yeah, yeah. It's it's and the spirit. The, you know, the, just the basic uh, school spirit, teammate yeah. spirit. You know, in pro sport, you're cheering for a uniform. You know, that's you're, you're the fanatic for the Seahawks. Right. But here, you know John, and you know Fred, and he's in your classes, and it, it's a different it's a different dynamic. Well, now uh, not only uh, are you coach at Trinity, but you you and I you're still uh, are you still the national U.S. national team coach to this day in some capacity, uh, Paul? Yeah, I'm still the coach. They haven't fired me yet. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm sure they're getting very close to doing that. But you know, I sort of oversee the programs, so. Yeah. I work with Rich Wade very closely uh, mm -hmm. down there at U.S. Squash. And, and then we have amazing coaches working with the different groups. You know, Thierry is working with our women's team. Um, you have Scott Devoy and Simba Muwadi and Alex State working with the juniors. And uh, it's, yeah, we, it's a pretty good system we have in place right now. So you must, I mean, you must be quite proud of, especially, I mean, on the, on the women's side, you've got uh, several women there competing within the top 10 in the world. You've got uh, Amanda Sobe and uh, Olivia Blatchford, and then a few younger girls coming through as well. And uh, even on the men's side, uh, uh, having a guy like Todd Harity just winning a, a PSA event recently and doing well uh, in the U.S. Open, uh, Chris Hansen, I think, has done quite well, and others. Um, where has, uh, in your estimation, uh, where, where has this improvement in and this rise in U.S. national squash, what, what can you attribute that to? Well, I'll tell you, for a long time, the college game, was, college was the American graveyard. 
Um, the end game was we're going to use squash to get into the best college possible. And that's fine, but that's where it ended. Now we're getting these young people who are much more committed to their game. And then they're going into the colleges and they're staying engaged with us as a U.S. organization. And they're playing PSA events when they can. And they're doing our two-week training in the summer. And, and so, so they still keep an eye to the idea that on the other end of this, I might jump in the pond and give it a try. We then fund our elite athletes. So we have right now six to eight professional players that are being funded by U.S. Squash, in addition to what they're earning out there as a player. So, you know, when you look at a young star like uh, Andrew Douglas, who did very well on the world stage, went off to Penn, is playing at Penn, but is playing PSA events, is doing the summer work with us, when he graduates, there's a very good belief that he's going to continue playing. At least that's where he is today. And when we have that continuity, then we're seeing the big jump. Look, the Egyptians are the, are the, top, of the top of the mountain by far. Yeah. But for the most part, there's very little focus on schooling. And that's not what we want the United States to be. We've got to figure out a way to be competitive with them within our own system, within our own values and our own ethos. And that's going to be the challenge, but it's a challenge worth trying to make. It's more or less, it's been a successful uh, conscious effort on the part of U.S. squash to uh, generate more interest in the pro game alongside uh, getting these guys uh, educated as well. Oh, yeah. And, and we've, you know, we've imitated a lot of other countries and what they're doing. And um, I, I think, I think, I think we're doing pretty well. There's, you know, when, when you're new at this and, and really what we're doing right now is relatively new. Mm -hmm. um, you, you learn by making mistakes. Those mistakes sometimes can be painful. Yeah. Um, but, we, you know, we're all rowing in the same direction. Well, I mean, I'm Canadian, right? So, uh, yep. I mean, we, we've obviously, uh, I mean, I think it, it's sort of, in, in a way, rubbing off on, the, especially on the women's side, the Canadian. Uh, in, on Canadian oh, they're doing great. As well. They're doing great. We've got, and uh, you've got six girls, you've got five Martin girls in the top 50 in the world, I think. Right? Yeah. Yep. And you've got Martin Heath coaching the uh, Canadian teams now, which is great. Yep. No, it's very exciting. We're, we're going to have a great, match with Team Canada next summer in Lima, Peru at the Pan American Games. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Uh, yeah, really men, fun. I mean, the men, the men, both, both Canadian teams will be up against it, I think. But uh, it's, going to yeah. be, it's going to be fun to watch. That's yeah, really oh, for sure. For sure. Now, um, I was watching, uh, just wanted to get a little bit of your, your insight on, on to the, into the mental game, which is something that you, you've uh, you recently had on uh, Squash Skills. You had a series of uh, videos there. And uh, I had um, the guys from Squash Skills on, Jesse Engelbrick and um, oh, Gary Nesbitt, sure. and we were talking a little bit about solo practice. And one thing that I thought was really interesting as I looked through your, your stuff there was the, just the mental approach and the preparation that you need to consider when you go out and do your training, whether that be solo training or just training with your, your teammates. Um, yep. And I thought that was really, really fascinating stuff. It's not stuff that, I mean, if you're being coached 
the way that your players are being coached by you, you obviously you take it for granted. But I think for the, the normal player, we, we don't really consider these things. So could you give us a little sort of a, like a thumbnail, if you will, about uh, how to approach uh, our training in terms of the mental side of it and the preparation side of it to get the most out of uh, yeah, hours well, I think it's about I think it's about engagement, right? If you're going to play a match on Saturday, you're going to pitch up for that match. You're going to be fully engaged. Yeah. You're going to be ready to play. Well, practice is supposed to prepare us for that. And if you come over to practice and you're engaged at 40% your capacity, how is that possibly preparing you for Saturday? So I'm a big believer in the Japanese philosophy, which is that you cry in practice and you laugh in competition. So I want to make sure that whatever it is we're doing, it's intense. Whatever it is we're doing, we're fully engaged. And, and if we're not at that state, then we leave the courts. Don't waste my time. And so, you know, people see me on match day and they think, wow, what a nice guy. He must, he must be really fun to play for. Well, you might not think that of me on practice day because, you know, when these kids pitch up for practice, they're not, they've got other things on their mind and we make sure that we, we get their full attention. Match day is easy. It's, it's what you do in the gym on a Wednesday when nobody's watching really is going to determine what level you can play on a Saturday. And so we have to demand more of ourselves in practice. No, I thought one thing uh, that uh, that you mentioned in, I think it was in one of those videos in squash skills was uh, you, you looked at Peter Nichols game and I never, re- I mean, obviously one of the greats of all time and, and uh, yep. really great guy to, to watch play. You mentioned that uh, you see him on the court and he was, he didn't really let his emotions uh, uh, get the better of him like some players uh, on tour yeah. tend to do. Uh, and you, you attribute that to his training methods. Could you, uh, for people who haven't seen or heard what you said about that, could you kind of go back and go over that for us? Well, the, the big thing is, if, and particularly with the English team, um, um, the English players, they, are, they get tremendous um, coaching, great psychology uh, sessions. And, and they're always centered. You, don't, you won't see English players tossing rackets and getting angry. No. They're quite stoic out there. And no, I, I know, sorry, for, I, I know if you remember this incident, but uh, uh, maybe 15, 20 years ago when Gregory Galche was, I don't know, 18 or so, was at the World Team Championships. You may have been there. Uh-huh. Uh, and he, I forget, it was in the final, and I forget who, maybe he was playing Lee Beachill in the final. And he, uh-huh. and he just went uh, ballistic, like, emotionally uh was so happy and expressing himself but i think the english coach or one of the english i think it was uh, malcolm willstrip took issue with it and that might might have been it was just sort of the way that they play and he, yeah. yeah yeah well you know this is a game where emotion is your enemy there's no doubt about it this is not football this is not wrestling adrenaline is not going to help you big bigger biggest is not our sport you know, oh, I had a PR. I had my fastest time ever. Well, that's for swimming and track and field. It's not for squash. You've got to be able to execute repetitive skills over and over while under severe physical duress. And emotion is just not going to help you. So that's how you have to learn to practice. And how, how, do, you, how do you take the emotion out of, how, how, like, what, what's the trick? I guess it's just play hard 
just play hard during practice as hard as you uh, go hard during practice. And that's the way. Yeah. Play. And, and yeah. with no emotion, you know, guys think, well, I can kind of, I can kind of mail it in at practice or I can get angry at practice because it's just practice. No, that's what, that's going to surface on Saturday. Any weakness in here today is who you are. And we're not going to accept that. There's right. got to be, and there's got to be good management and control of your emotions. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, yeah, that, that, and that, those videos, uh, those sessions on squash skills are, if anyone who's listening, if you haven't seen them yet, definitely uh, go in and, and uh, watch each of the videos. They're, they're excellent. The part that I, I thought was quite, that people might find useful as well is uh, just make, uh, taking notes uh, before your, your training sessions in terms of what you what you want to achieve. I mean, how many times I did it last week, I went for a solo practice and I do my routine and try to keep, you know, it fairly intense, but I, I didn't have any notes, uh, Paul. Right. I should no, have. No, I think it's a much more professional and scientific approach. And, um, and ours is a game of in-match adjustments. You've got to be able to make instantaneous adjustments in-match. And to do that, you need to be cognizant of what's going on. And emotion blocks your ability to see that. A person that's in road rage cannot make the finite adjustments. And you cannot play squash in a state of road rage. No, exactly. Yeah. Especially, yeah, you're, that's so true. Now, um, you've been great with your time, Paul. I just want, uh, I, in my prep for this, I, I noticed, and I was really uh, amazed by this, uh, you, if you could tell us uh, uh, a little bit about this, this story. Um, uh, Bill Belichick uh, got in touch with you at one point and asked you to uh, speak to the Patriots. I think it was back in 2011. Uh, yeah. First of all, amazing that 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 you and he are connected. Obviously, you've been in the the coaching game for for a long time and have been successful. Uh, can you uh, just give us a little backstory on that? How how you came to know uh, the great uh, NFL coach, uh, current, uh, arguably the greatest of all time, Bill Belichick, and what uh, what he asked you to do for the Patriots in uh, 2011 well, when they were on a huge winning streak, by the way. Well, yeah. So he's a great guy. Um, people don't realize it oh, because hilarious. I love his interviews. Yeah, the pre he doesn't <laughs> give the press anything, no. but I can tell you he's, he's the smartest guy in the room always. Yeah. He's an amazing coach. And so he called me one day and he said, listen, would you come up and talk to the team? They, they had four games left. Sorry, uh, the, Paul, how, where does your relationship with Bill, how, how did you uh, first, how did you meet uh, uh, Bill? Oh, first place? He, um, his son came to Trinity um, and is now on the staff with the Patriots. Okay. And so we got to know each other pretty well then. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, we, he would come down, we would communicate, we text a couple of times a week. And, um, so he called me and he said, look, we've got four games left to go in the season. And when you guys go to play, you're oftentimes favored. And we're favored in the last four games. And I want to make sure we avoid the trap game. I want to avoid having a bad loss. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, he, <laughs> he asked me to come up and talk to the team. So, uh, you know, you walk into a room in the bottom of the stadium and, and there's these giants. I mean, these guys block out the, the sunlight when they walk through the door. Yeah. And, you know, when they shake their hand, your hand, their hand wraps around your hand twice. It's just 
it was really fun and it was awe inspiring. And these guys were just, it was so interesting. Um, Yeah, I guess that, I mean, that's a message that, uh, that, you know, when you delivered it to their team, it's probably something, which is the reason why he asked you to do it. Something that you have to consider all, all the time. Oh yeah. That's, that's what, and also, you know, he always has football people come in to talk to the team and he thought, you know what, I'm going to have somebody in here that's so random and so different that, you know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll pay attention for a few minutes, but it was very cool. And, um, their guys seemed appreciative and, uh, and I really enjoyed. And then I got to watch the team practice. And that's, that's like watching, you know, that's like watching a, a, a performance on Broadway. It's so orchestrated and so precise, second by second. Really cool stuff. That's awesome. That, that must have been a great experience, something you'll, uh, you'll definitely Yeah, I'll always that. remember. Yeah. Well, uh, well, Paul, I just want to wish you uh, all the best. And it's oh, been really, you. really, uh, really great chatting uh, with you. Uh, good luck to uh, to your teams, uh, both Trinity and the, and the national team. Uh, I appreciate it very much, Jerry. Thanks for ta- giving me the time. Thank you very much. Thanks, Paul. Okay. Bye bye. Cheers. Ah, thank you so much, Paul. I really enjoyed that chat. Lots of insight, lots of history there, and I'm sure we just scratched the surface. And of course, uh, lots of uh, coaching insight as well. Definitely go and check out his series on uh, squash skills. I know you'll enjoy those videos uh, of, of Paul's on squash skills. Now, uh, just before we go, two great matches last night amongst uh, many good ones, but two great ones that stood out uh, to me. Joel Macon's uh, big win over Miguel Rodriguez, uh, definitely proving that he's a top 10 player. Uh, big wins over um, Mohamed El Sherbagi recently and another uh, very, very good win, proving himself to be a talent uh, in the top 10 for sure. And then uh, the last match of the evening, what a match that was, Ali Farag and uh, Mohamed Abelgar. Uh, Abelgar uh, could be the most talented player. He probably is on, on the tour. What a, uh, what a joy to watch. Uh, just sad that he, he had those untimely tins, and Joey called it uh, earlier in the match. Uh, that uh, He mentioned that he had to stay away from that, and that was pretty much his undoing. Uh, there at the end, he had his chances, just a few uh, unforced errors almost, I would say, into the tin on uh, routine shots that he'd been making uh, throughout the match for winners or to continue to put uh, Ali under pressure. But Ali, take nothing away from him. He played extremely well. Had a few errors himself there at the end. Maybe he was tired or felt the pressure a bit. But uh, a great win for him, and he moves on, and the tournament is uh, really going well, uh, I think, in terms of the matches. Not sure about uh, attendance in the, in the venue, but it looked like there were a fair few people there. Quite an Egyptian um, contingent uh, in Qatar, so I'm sure as the, the tournament progresses and as the Egyptian talent uh, continues to move forward, uh, we'll see uh, the stands filling up uh, towards the end of the tournament as well. And one more thing uh, uh, Joey Barrington mentioned during the ma- last match of the evening was uh, that Nick Matthew may have unretired. Now, we'll, uh, we'll see about that. I, I, don't, I hadn't heard anything, but maybe. Obviously, he's in the know. Uh, he says he's going to come back for at least two tournaments, the, the wor- two world championships, one in Philadelphia and one in uh, Qatar, I believe he said, Philadelphia or Chicago. But uh, anyways, that, uh, that's interesting. We, it hadn't been uh, 
mentioned anywhere in any uh, of the squash uh, news sources, but uh, we'll see how this plays out as the word spreads. Uh, maybe Nick will come out and uh, announce it officially uh, for us. But uh, anyways, uh, thanks everyone for listening. We've got some uh, good podcasts coming up, including uh, Todd Harity. He's going to be coming on uh, in a few days, so I know you'll enjoy that one. So everyone, thanks again for listening. Have a great day. Bye-bye now.